Hello, listeners again, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Michigan Ross Executive Perspectives Middle East podcast series. We are going to talk now about a very interesting topic. So artificial intelligence or AI has been hailed by many tech leaders like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, uh, Sundar Pichai from various uh, sectors of the tech industry as the one that's most transformative and disruptive technologies of this era after the internet in the 90s. So for many years, it's been more of a hype because people didn't really see what has been applicable, where it's being adopted. They knew about AI, but they didn't see it until ChatGPT was launched back in November. That's what made it real. Basically, this is the first time the common part of the industry and people from different uh, various classes and uh, different industries are now recognizing the importance of AI just because they have seen an application out of ChatGPT, which launched back in November. So it is a major breakthrough in the development of AI, and it demonstrates that machines can not just understand human language, but they can also generate responses that are fairly accurate in a human language, fairly indistinguishable to us from if a person actually wrote it or not. So the impact, and here we've got across multiple industries, but we have seen it mostly with a newscaster saying, after they do their opening, they say, oh, this was done by ChatGPT in case you didn't know. So it became more of a common practice. So we're going to talk more about this topic, and but let me first start by introducing our esteemed guests. We've got Professor Perry Sampson from the University of Michigan. He's an author, distinguished professor of engineering for more than 43 years at the university. He's here with us to share his uh, insights. We also have uh, Shamir Taha, who is Global Chief Strategy Officer for Acubit. Now, without further ado, let me start with you, Shamir. So we've seen the emergence of ChatGPT and other AI technologies so that we don't limit it just to ChatGPT. We've seen its impact. They talk about impact on companies. Now, if it would be great if you can tell us more about your insights into how it changed your interface, into how you service your customers, how it changed the interface with your customers, and how did it impact their operations? Basically, how did it change the business model in general? That's a very interesting question, Jay. In fact, ChatGPT has, like you said, revealed to the world that you can actually do a lot of things with AI. And fundamentally, it's because of the concept of emergence. Now, maybe I'll talk about what's the impact that we've had in our business. My business is primarily, Acubits is primarily into developing software solutions for enterprises and government entities, mainly in emerging tech. So we have operations just like any enterprises. So it involves sales, pre-sales, or what we call as RevOps marketing and different functions. What it has actually done for us is to enable multiples of, in terms of productivity using tools like ChatGPT. ChatGPT is just one of them, but we also use internal models that we've created using large, different large language models to do different kinds of aspects, including voice, text, audio, video. And what we've also understood fairly early on is that this is also going to disrupt the way we actually conduct our core operations, which is developing software solutions. So today we understand that you can actually have a junior developer perhaps perform at the level of a senior developer. So there's tools like Copilot and all the other tools that have been out there in the market. And that's just exploring the capabilities of what you can actually do today. Even learning new tools and upskilling oneself you can actually do using these interactive tools. And that's the same, be it any enterprise. It's not just software development. We thought creative industry would not be disrupted. That's the first thing that 
was actually being disrupted using ChatGPT. We've had claims that ChatGPT can pass the bar and medical exams. And we're seeing the same disruption happening in the finance sector as well. So you can you can apply it to cybersecurity, you can apply it to various fields. So I think what we will see over the next five, six years is an adoption uh, or, or a mass adoption of artificial intelligence at scale into different functions of the enterprise. Okay. What you mentioned is very interesting. So very, I want to take it then from that point of view, which is the disruption in industries that we did not think would be disrupted. So we're talking about the creative industry. We're talking about finance. And of course, I mean, the legal part, the paralegal functions have been listed as top. There is talk about there is no more need for writers for sitcoms anymore. So all of these things are, uh, all of these disruptions are fairly major. Uh, when we talk about organization, we talk about learning mechanisms. From your position and your perspective at the university, how do you see the impact on research? We've seen research ramp up in the last five years on AI and to study its impact on organizations, to study its impact on adoption, on learning mechanisms within the company. So what are the new research questions or challenges that you see coming together as a result of ChatGPT and those disruptions in those industries? Well, I want to take off on something that Shamir said that, for example, the capacity for people to do things that they maybe couldn't do before, like he mentioned uh, programming and software development, how someone even like, like me can go out and create a program that maybe uh, last year I, I couldn't create. I think there's huge opportunity with these new technologies and these technologies are going to, the world I live in is education and thinking about how education is going to be affected. Should I worry that I would be out of a job because this bot can go and teach my course as well as I can? I, I would say no. I mean, I'm in fact building such a bot that would basically allows the machine to learn from the things I have said in my classes over the years and create a sort of virtual me so the students could ask questions of me 24-7 and have more access to uh, the things I want them to learn. And I'm, we're just scratching the surface, I think, on what, what is possible with these AI platforms and building large language models that are specific to ind individual industries and individual disciplines. And the value of that uh, and, and the kinds of support then that we can give to the workers in the industry who want to upskill up themselves to a higher level uh, is phenomenal. That uh, they would, they should have the accumulated knowledge of what's being taught on educational institutions and have access to that uh, wh wherever they are at whatever time they have. I'm quite uh, enthusiastic about uh, how this is going to actually help we who are in the business of training and educating learners. Okay, so I, I want to come back to you on how it can actually complement what you do in the education space compared or versus what the threat that it poses on the ethical side of the education part, on the students' part. And we, we'll, I want to come back to you on that point. It's quite important. But to ask Shamir, I mean, Perry mentioned that job replacement. And just yesterday, I heard from an IBM release saying that they're going to replace 7,800 jobs with AI. So we have seen the ball started to roll. 
So 8,000, almost 8,000 jobs at IBM to be replaced with AI in the next 12 months is fairly significant. So there is the usage of AI to complement the existing job, whether it's in education or training. And then there is the usage as a replacement of skills. And the third part, which we have seen some discussions about, and there has been some uh, warnings about the threat of AI in terms of its unethical use or in terms of how it's used responsibly and how regulations need to contain it. So I just wanted to get your thoughts, Shamir, on what is the balance between the benefits that we can use to use as an advantage for as AI to the risks and the ethical concerns that are associated with AI? Everyone's talking about ethics around AI and responsible AI, and I think that rightly so, that is something that needs to be considered. And like any technology, it can be used for good and for bad. And so there has to be policies in place to ensure a couple of things, right? In terms of, let's say, if an enterprise has to use AI, is there a policy around ethics? How are you going to use it? Is there is it transparent? Uh, is it explainable how that AI has actually arrived at a conclusion or an answer? And these are things that need to be well thought through when actually developing protocols or applications around it. And there are a lot of derivatives around this as well. I mean, it's not just in artificial intelligence. It, today, we're thinking seriously about it because the pace at which it's evolving and disrupting industries is so fast, right? And that's why we have to take a very conscious approach to actually building out responsible AI. Now, when it comes to about job replacement, We've had this happen time and time again over the last centuries. I mean, we've had this during the Industrial Revolution. We've had it during multiple phases of our civilization. And to me, the way that I see it, it's just a natural evolution of how humanity is progressing. And yes, it will disrupt jobs. It is a time for everyone to actually think about what next. And that's exactly what artificial intelligence or any technology should be for humanity. If we are able to kind of evolve ourselves and think about the next uh, evolution process, how can we actually solve larger problems and stop doing the repetitive mundane tasks? That's exactly what we should be trying to achieve. So in the displacement of jobs, I think it will also pay way for newer opportunities. If you think about AI at scale, this requires a new set of skill sets. So there's obviously prompt engineers, as we call them, that that's coming out today, but I think that will also evolve. There's also a requirement for scale of engineers in terms of DevOps and managing MLOps or even foundation model operations that is coming along. And I think that will be how it'll progress. But also just to tag on to what Perry had earlier mentioned, right? So it's not directly going to replace a person from his current role. It's going to augment them. AI tools and even large language models have generative AI capabilities, but it still requires a human to be involved. It needs context. It needs fine tuning. It needs domain understanding. And that can only come in from a human. So there's always going to be a hybrid approach. So I mean, in this case, then, how do you explain an example like the IBM announcement saying that 7,800 jobs that were supposed to be filled by humans are now going to be performed? by AI models. So it's not about upskilling those people, it's about replacement in this case. It is a replacement. That's that's what I said. There is going to be a displacement yeah, okay. and there's going to be newer jobs that will come up as well. So these jobs which are being replaced, possibly, I'm not sure of the specifics, but 
My understanding is that these were probably repetitive tasks or these right. could easily be fulfilled by an AI. Yeah, and they could now be allocated to different high priority operations within the organization. You know, their time utilization could be better made more efficient as well. It's true. I mean, th th this kind of summarizes what you said, which is those repetitive tasks, 7,800 positions of repetitive tasks being replaced by an AI uh, uh, engine. They also mentioned about the reallocation of those jobs or, or of those people that had these jobs to uh, other positions with the different skill sets. So basically, right. you're, basically, it's about using AI for good. That's the message you're sending out. Absolutely. And, and that just unleashes a lot of potential. Think about applying that to a large scale in applications of medicine and manufacturing. We can now probably identify newer possibilities in chemical manufacturing, medicine, health, and which possibly wasn't something that we could do earlier. And all this is now possible only because of large language models and the concept of emergence that we now have. Yeah. So, uh, Perry, in this case, I want to get back to you on the previous point about how you can use AI models and chat GPT as a support tool rather than a threat tool to how students learn. Now, we are in a situation where if you don't implement AI, you're going to be left behind. I mean, a big example was Chegg. Chegg yesterday, which is an attack tool uh, company, they announced that ChatGPT is actually a threat and they just mentioned it in passing in terms of how it's threat to their growth and their stock got cut by almost 50%. So just by saying ChatGPT is not a compliment, it's a threat, it puts a company almost at half its valuations. And if you say AI is part of my learning, like Khan Academy did, then they are perceived in a completely different positive direction. So from your view, in terms of how do you address the fact that students can now generate a paper, five-page, 10-page paper, and less than a minute about the subject they don't really know much about? And how do you use that as a support? Because what we have seen basically is you cannot leave AI behind. You cannot say it's a threat, I'm going to leave it behind, because that's where it will come back and bite. So how do you use it to support and how do you balance the learning mechanism with the students who should be learning, not just cut and paste their, their work? Well, that is the question of the day, Jay, is how do, how do we, how do we yeah. balance, balance those two? But I am old enough that when I was in school that uh, they, came out with, they came out with portable calculators. And these portable calculators then were all oh, those great gnashing of teeth because, my gosh, People are going to be able to do math without actually understanding math. And we heard the same arguments back then that this is going to destroy the world of mathematics because even everybody could do math. Well, we're sort of at the same transition point here where now with the, the conversational GPT, the, there are opportunities that people, it's going to make opportunities for people to do things that they couldn't do before, just like the handheld calculator did. It's going to expand the number of people we can have involved in some higher level industries. But the challenge is, is unlike the calculator, that these GPT models aren't always accurate. When you did a calculator, it's you know 47 times 23 is whatever it is, end of case. But here you're asking questions of the machine and it's giving you uh, results 
you still need the human involved to interpret these results and still have, as, as Shamir said, these uh, prompt engineers who go out and design what's the best question. The issue with these these new models is not the models are not the models themselves. It's how do you design the question, and the questions and prompts that you put into the system uh, dictate then the quality of the results you're going to get. So there's going to be whole new industries thinking about how to how to design those. And the other point that you made, Jay, is uh, yeah, some people might lose their jobs for these uh, tasks that I can be replicated by uh, machine learning. But what that means to me is that there's going to be a lot of need for upskilling. A lot of people are going to have to learn new technologies, have to learn about how to use these new skills to be competitive in the coming world. But as, as we've all said, that's that's been going on for generations. There's always new industries, there's always new opportunities, and there's always the uh, the waning of some industries that are just out of date. So I think right now is a great uh, time for education because many are going to need more education and they're going to need more education to learn about these skills. So I, I, I go back to this being an opportunity in industry and in education to um, evolve into, into a, new, a new economy. I mean, 100%, I agree with you on, on the opportunity. I mean, for uh, Michigan Ross Executive Education, the direction has shifted in terms of what's needed for upskilling. I'm not talking about the technical upskilling, but I'm talking about how to manage the impact of the adoption of these technologies, both internally as an organization, and how should you manage that or new organization and externally in terms of business modeling? Because now that you've become more efficient, you can serve the customer better. How do you make sure that the customer ac actually acknowledges and sees that value that you are bringing in terms of improved product journeys, product uh, management, in terms of customer service experience as a whole. So it's a great opportunity for us as Michigan Ross, so for sure. Uh, it's also a great opportunity for, for the industry the one element is to make sure that the uh, HR and the learning and development teams within these companies understand how that mechanism works. Because if there is a lack of understanding of the type of upskilling needed or reallocation of skills, it's going to end up being either a layoff or hire new people. And that's going to create a big disruption because hiring new people takes time to integrate into the company. And laying off people creates economic disruption. So it's not a great situation. But like you said, we are in a transition time. And this is our time to step in and make sure that there is enough education within the company to know how to steer that new, that new era we are in. Well, Jay, if I can just follow up on that, because in Ross, Ross uh, Business School, many people are coming back and wanting to get uh, certificates, wanting to upskill themselves uh, through that program. Often these are people who have other responsibilities. They have children, they have families, uh, they have limited time. And, and this is precisely, I think, where these new technologies will be helpful. The ability to get the information that a learner needs when they need it, whenever they need it and get them not only to the right information, but have the intelligence to identify other resources that you should know about based on the conversations going on in class. So I think uh, particularly for the Ross School, this could be quite helpful. Absolutely. 
So Shamir, I'll, I'll, coming back to you, you being the chief strategy officer for Acubits, who is in the middle of the whole change towards AI and the development of AI, short question, basically, what kind of challenges and opportunities do you see moving forward? Because right now we've seen what the AI technology, and like you said, it's beyond just chat GPT and natural language processing, but overall AI, we have seen now what it can do. But there is lack of understanding of what challenges it presents and what opportunities there are beyond where we are today. So could you just share with us your insights into where you see that go moving forward? So I think first, we all need to understand that this phase that we're going through is very transformative in nature. It's very evolutionary. We're still kind of like, as Perry mentioned, at the tip of the iceberg, we're just exploring the possibilities of what we can do. The sheer number of product companies that are coming up in the generative AI space is a testament to that. Every single company that was in traditional businesses are now deploying generative AI capabilities to augment their capabilities. So we've got Office 365 Copilot. We've got tools that were supporting copywriters coming up with chatbots and enabling generative AI capabilities within that. I think the challenge for be it businesses or even education is to figure out how to coexist with AI as the first step and figure out what is their eventual goal? What is their strategy? Is it is, is the idea to kind of replace humans? Is it to increase productivity? Is it to augment capabilities? Figuring out the vision statement first gives the answers to the next set of steps that you need to take. And the next challenge is obviously figuring out what's feasible, what can it actually do? So capabilities like GPT has been tested today, and we know that it's good at certain things. It's not great at so many things, right? So for instance, mathematical equations and compute, that, that's been a challenge which we're trying to solve. So 3.5 was bad at it, 4 is better, and it's it's only going to get better from here. And Today, one, one challenge that we see in this space is you have separate models that do certain things. If you have to accomplish a task, you still need to work with multitude of different tools, right? So you probably go to chat GPT to generate text. You take that, you give it to another tool. Then there is a series of steps. I think what will really be beneficial, and I think that's where we are also kind of focusing our energies on, is to figure out what's really useful for you as a human to actually achieve what you need to do. How can we actually make that job easy for you? So it could be a multitude, maybe a multi-model that allows you to do that. So there are a lot of things that are happening in this space, like auto GPT is something that just came about where you give it a particular mission and it figures out the next steps. So those things are happening today. And I think the other biggest challenge is also figuring out what can go wrong. Having that option to actually stop and say, okay, this is not going the right way. And you know, we've had talks about sentience and consciousness of AI and artificial general intelligence, people talking about this will take over the world. I think it's it's a little too far-fetched at this point of what uh, AI can really do. But having a very clear methodology of how you're building your AI is really important. And the other challenge I think we are also witnessing is biases. Having a bit more broader data sets when you actually train the model and fine-tune the model is really important because you cannot have a very biased view or a data set in real-life applications, uh, especially when it comes to things like cultural sensitivity and other aspects of you know how you utilize this model. So these are some of the things. And I think last but not least, I think you also need to consider how the human AI collaboration would really work. 
AI technologies are expected to augment human capabilities rather than replace them as, a, as we've all kind of established. Yeah. And what this is going to do is to lead to better collaboration between humans and AI, particularly in healthcare and even education. Absolutely. So basically, as we, as we wrap up this podcast session, I wanted to get maybe just a couple of minutes of your insights for each before we wrap up. But I, w- I just wanted to give you the, within the context of what we see today, I mean, we have seen it back in history when there were major disruptions. So not to go too far into history, we go just into the 90s and, and early 2000s when search engines were about Ask Jeeves and Lycos and Excite at Home, and they were replaced then by Google. Uh, you had all different other names for e-commerce and then Amazon emerged. So we're going to have the same kind of approach where now actually we're starting to see hundreds that will go into thousands of companies that are going to drive this. And what's going to emerge is a new set of companies that will drive a mainstream usage of AI. So given that no one has a crystal ball to know which is going to be a winner and how it's going to filter out and what's going to happen, just to get your insights overall of the adoption of AI by companies or by students or by people. Just two-minute insight on your side before we wrap up. Perry, if you want to go first. Well, uh, that's a good model. You mentioned Google. And in my own courses, some time ago, I made my, I changed my exams in the following way. I said, uh, here's the exam. You can use an open book. You can have an open computer. That is, you can search things on Google to make your answer. If If I'm asking questions that you can answer simply by looking it up on Google, then I've done a poor job of creating the question. I would continue the same thing with AI and because the elephant in the room for education is, will the students just be going to chat GPT and getting answers, writing their papers and such? Uh, the, the challenge is, all right, yes, they're going to do that. 90% of Michigan students are already doing that. But the, when these students graduate and go to industry, they're going to continue to do that. So we, we should train them on how to use these new technologies and how to use them in a very critical thinking way that, that what's coming out of this is a help like that calculator is giving you some some information you can use as part of your learning and understanding, but it's not the complete picture. We, you know, the human in the room is still necessary to interpret this this information. So uh, again, I, I I don't embrace necessarily students using this all the time to answer their questions, but it's a reality. And now is the time for us to think through about how do we now change our measures of assessment to help uh, assess whether the student is actually doing critical thinking using these resources, but doing more than just cut, cut and paste to uh, come up with, a, with, a, with their own understanding of the material. That's a challenge for us. I mean, I, I completely, I, I mean, I'm in the same line of thinking even on that one, because when I think about ChatGPT, it's not capable, or generative AI, it's not capable of generating new original knowledge. It's capable of consolidating and analyzing and then reformatting and rewriting, but it's not able to generate new knowledge, which is what we do, whether it's in research, whether it's in PhD program, or whether you are in the commercial professional space. When you are faced with these different challenges, it's your human mind that's trying to think of how to best resolve it. It's not AI that's going to resolve it for you or generate new ideas for you. So 100% on on the same page. Shamir? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. And if you think about it, what these tools do is to accelerate what you already have been doing. For instance, if you ask an intelligent question, you get a very basic answer. If you've been doing something bad, it just accelerates that. But if you ask a smart question in a smart way, you get a decent answer. And to what Perry was saying, if the student knows how to ask the right questions, and I think that's what makes a good student a great student, being able to ask the right questions. And if you're able to ask the right questions, then you figure out better answers and unique answers. And that applies to any industry, people, or enterprise as well. You need to be able to kind of use these tools in the right way. And there's no running away from it. Today, it's out there. If you don't adopt these tools and learn how to use these tools and exist with them, you're obsolete. And that's that's the challenge that most of the industries are facing today. You need to kind of upskill fast. You need to figure out how to use these tools. And so I've heard about universities actually encouraging students to use tools like ChatGPT and declare in their reports as well as assignments that I've used ChatGPT, but also add your flavor to it. Ask questions. Make sure that you know there's some sort of due diligence involved. In fact, I heard about a story just the other day where a teacher actually gave a report which was generated by ChatGPT to all the students and said, figure out all the fallacies in this document. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, that's an awesome way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, that's, I, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, so in here, if you wanted to basically sum it up. So the first one is the use of AI for good. The second one is going to be about the still need of a human touch. There's still need about a human contribution to the AI contribution. And the third one is more about the need to know how to use it. Because if you don't use it the right way, then you're not going to get the right response. Basically, it's bad in, bad out. This is how it's going to end up. If you have good input, you're going to get good out. So I think with that, I would like to thank you, Perez. Thank you, Shamir, for uh, participating in this episode. It was an extremely intuitive and I would say insightful discussion. So until next time.